Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Do you like shortcuts? We all do. However, trying to make shortcuts with God's plans is foolish and can result in us having to learn some tough lessons in the process. This happened to Abraham many times in his life, but now in Genesis chapter 24, he seems to have learned many lessons through his poor choices. Abraham had come to the realization, even though we have God's promises, we still need to be faithful. Today, let's see what Abraham has learned and save ourselves a lot of pain and heartache. Here's Pastor Jim in part one of his message, Promises and Providence. Well, one of the great temptations in life is to take shortcuts. Now, I'm all for faster. Faster is okay, but God does not want us to compromise in the Christian life to make things move along quicker. In other words, he doesn't need our help. Our series that we are in called Venturing into the Unknown, and we've been watching what we might call a consummate shortcut man, Abraham, grow in his faith and trust in God and in God's timing. Uh, that came... Uh, you know, to a high point in Genesis chapter 22, when he was faced with the death of his son Isaac, twice he said to his son Isaac, the Lord will provide. So instead of him forcing the issue, he was ready for the Lord himself to provide. In other words, Abraham has moved from what we might call shortcut faith, or I can do it, to true faith and trust in God's plan and God's power. Now, God's plans and his, for our lives often involve something that we call divine providence. What, what, what's divine providence? They would be normal everyday or even unusual events that God uses in your life to accomplish his will. As we think about the promises of God, it, it's important to remember that that trusting God includes, for a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're glad, we're glad you're with us or we're glad you're watching online, but following Jesus includes entrusting ourselves to the divine providence of God. You know, some people will say, uh, everything happens for a reason. Well, here you go. Now you got to say, really? Tell me about what that means to you, and I'll tell you about what that means to me. And so there's how you engage people in conversations about Christianity. Listen to them first, and then they will give you the opportunity to, to speak to them. Now, relying on God's timing and the way he does things is easier said than done because a lot of times it takes a lot of time. How many of you like to wait? Just curious. Not a taker on that one. And uh, we live in an instant, fast-paced society. And if something makes us wait, you know, in this get it now world, if you got to wait, some smart guy will develop an app so you don't have to wait. But as we've said many times before, anything really worthwhile is time-consuming. Going to take a long time. So as we've seen, God promised to make a great nation out of Abraham. He promised to give him a lot of descendants. He promised to give him the promised land. He promised to give him a son through whom those descendants would come. And did that take a long time or a short time? A long time, a very, very long time. And finally, he got his son, Isaac. 
And so all these people would be born through Isaac. Now we have another problem. The problem was getting the son. Now the problem is he doesn't have a wife. So he doesn't have any kids of his own. Well, I'm going to just tell you this. Two weeks, it'll be 33 years. After 33 years of being a follower of Jesus, I am no longer surprised by God's detours. That doesn't mean I always like them, but I'm no longer surprised by them. I'm no longer surprised by his road closures. I was going somewhere this week and I was, I was running late. And so I just said, well, you know what? I'm going to take the nicer way. I'll still make it on time and go through some nice, instead of taking the highway. Sure enough, I turn around the corner, road closed, you know, and I was late. So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised by that kind of stuff uh, at all anymore. And, um, you know, I know it just comes, delays come with God's plans and God's purposes. So the title of our message is, today is Promises and Providence. And so we're going to be looking here at the connection in Genesis 24 uh, between how God's promises are fulfilled through his divine providence and also not only are his plans and promises fulfilled, but they are used to develop uh, the faith and trust of his followers. And I think it's particularly important for all of us as we look at our nation today. A lot of people are wondering, what is the future of our nation? Uh, A lot of people are wondering, what is the future of the church in America? Uh, We already know what's kind of happened in Europe. It's really not uh, such a great situation. And so uh, we wonder about such things. We wonder about what's the future uh, of the faith of our children, the faith of our grandchildren for some of us. I think in that sense, as we go back 4,000 years ago, we find the word of God as relevant today as it was back then. So if you're taking notes, there's three things we just want to point out today. Uh, Number one, God's promises call for our faithfulness. God's promises call for our faithfulness. They're not disassociated. It's not like you get a promise from God and you think, oh, I can just go do whatever I want. No, no, God wants us to be faithful. Genesis 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Well, we saw last week his wife of over 60 years had died. Uh, In the next chapter, we will learn, well, we're not going to cover that part, but uh, we may cover it, but I don't think we will. Genesis 25, we'll, we'll learn that it's about three years later now, and Isaac is about 40 years old, and he is unmarried. Now, let me be perfectly clear on this. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being 40 years old and being single. We understand that. Some people think, oh, it's better to be married. Other people think it's not better to be married. You know, I I was telling one lady one time a couple weeks ago that I've had headaches every day for about 40 years. And she said, yeah, I've been married about 30 years myself. I said, no, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. And so, and so I said, I, I, I got a great wife. And, and so, uh, you know, I, it's, it's just, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being 40 years and unmarried unless, unless 
<laughs> the future descendants of Israel are to come through you. Then there's something really wrong with it. And the birth of the Messiah is to come through you. Then we got to do something to fix this situation. Now, remember, Abraham lives in Canaan, the promised land, a land full of false gods, lots of pagan religion. And he's about 400 miles from his original home. And let's just be perfectly honest. If we want to take a shortcut, what would be the easy thing to do right now? To fix his son up with a Canaanite girl. That would be the easy thing to do. I mean, just think it would be, it would make such, the logic would be perfect. Isaac is going to inherit a lot of money. He doesn't have land though. We're sure he's got the, the, you know, the little field and the grave where his mother's buried, but they don't have any, they don't have any land. And, and if he marries a girl with a rich, powerful dad who has lots of land, that would help on the surface. It would seem to help God's people to get the promised land faster. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, sometimes called the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament says this. For many of us, it was like the first Bible verse we ever memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That is staring, even though it comes after Abraham, that is staring Abraham right in the face right now. Verse two, so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, so this was the guy who was in charge of everything, please put your hand under my thigh. Now that sounds bizarre to us. We might say, put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, repeat after me. So it's kind of the equivalent of of doing that. And he says, and I will make you swear by the Lord, uh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not, you might want to circle that word not in your Bible, take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now remember, Abraham's family, if you were with us in the beginning, they're not really believers, but they're not like the Canaanites. So sort of like the best that's available, if you will. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Now, and then he says this, and this is, of course, is in case, you know, he comes back and the late, whoever this girl won't follow him, and maybe Abraham's dead by then. He says, must I take your son back to the land from which he came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. So that's a flat out, no, you're not going to do it this way. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. So if she doesn't come, you can't get anybody to come. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to be mad at you. You're still going to get your raise and your Christmas bonus. I know there's no Christmas then. You're still going to get your your bonus. And, And so don't worry about that. And then he repeats what he says. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So these are Abraham's last recorded words. He is adamant. There is no talking him out of of this. You're going to go look for a wife in my homeland, but there are two conditions that you absolutely must follow. Number one, there will be no pagan Canaanite wife. 
And number two, you're not to let my son leave the promised land. Now, centuries later in Deuteronomy uh, 7, Moses will specifically forbid the people of God from intermarrying with the Canaanites. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, now the apostle Paul wants people who are married to stay married. We got that? There's a few exceptions, but he wants you to stay married. But he says concerning widows, if you want to die, that doesn't mean you can kill your husband and remarry, okay? So just if you get any, if you get any ideas of that. Um, some of the husbands are looking at the wives like, did you hear that, babe? Did you hear that? Okay, so, so he says, if you're a widow and you want to remarry, you can, but only in the Lord, only who someone who shares your Christian faith. Well, why? Well, because unbelieving people often pull God's people away from him and God is building a people, a countercultural people that are going to follow after him. Plus, you know, it, it makes sense. If you're a follower of Jesus, right, and loving and following Jesus is the single most important thing in your life, if you are not married and you're going to get married, then you would want to marry someone who shares that priority with you because if they don't, it's always going to be one of these things. It's going to be head-butting. Uh, for Isaac, marrying the wrong woman because of his position would have great consequences for him and the future of the people of God. Now, one of the things when I teach young people, I often tell them that the second most important decision you make in your life, are you listening to me, young people? Listen, listen, listen to an old man. The second most important decision you make in your life is who you marry, who you marry. You say, what's the first? Well, you have to stay awake a little longer for that one. And, and so that might be hard. That might mean you have to wait longer. But faithfulness to the Lord often involves hard decisions like willing to wait for God to bring you his best. Now, this servant is unnamed. It could be Eliezer, who we met in chapter 15. He'd be pretty old for a journey of this type right now. Uh, some Bible scholars indicate that pe periodically throughout the scriptures, you have what's known as the unnamed servant, which can be symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But clearly, this is a man of faith, uh, a man of great loyalty to Abraham, a, a true servant indeed, a man with a true servant's heart. So his boss was Abraham, but no doubt there appears to be a love between them. And here Abraham says this to him, if you really want to serve me now, I want you to serve my son. And you know, that's what God the Father says to all of us. He says, if you really want to serve me now here in this life, I want you to serve my sons and daughters. That's why we put a big emphasis here on, on volunteering to serve in the church, but it also prepares you to serve outside the walls of, of the church. And so he, he says, you know, I want you to serve my son. And, and look at the task that he gives him. It's absolutely impossible. I want you to take a 400-mile journey, and I want you to convince some girl who doesn't know you to come back here and marry my son. So this guy is kind of like, okay, that sounds good. You know, uh, what, if, what if she says, all right, I, I'm all for it. Tell him to come and meet me. 
Abraham says, no, he can't leave the promised land. God's plan is for him to stay here and for me to give it to him. And so it's okay if she says, no, don't, don't worry about it. So what's going on here? I think there's a, there's a hugely important principle for all of us to see here. Basically what Abraham is saying is this, don't focus on the results. The results are God's part. Just focus on being faithful. Focus on obeying the Lord. That's our part. Our part is to be faithful. God's part is the results. Pastor Chuck used to tell us, the founder of Calvary Chapel, do your best and commit the rest. And that's all you can really do. So what's Abraham saying? Indirectly, he's saying that God will fulfill his promises. If he doesn't do it this way, let's have faith knowing that he will do it another way. But we're not going to compromise. And in verse 7, really, it 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 summarizes his faith and trust. He says to the servant, be confident of this very thing. He will send his angel before you. And that's the confidence we have as followers of Jesus, no matter where we are or where we are going, to know that God goes before us where we go. Our part is to what? Serve. Our part is to what? Open our mouth. God's part is what? The results. We are to be faithful. God is responsible for the results. Now that to me is such an important reminder in the midst of great difficulty and in the midst of an unforeseeable future. You see, the future for Abraham is still, he is still venturing into the unknown. He's going to die soon. What comes after that? His son, what's going to happen next to his son? He's still venturing into an unforeseeable future, but he knows this. He has finally learned this, that God is faithful and does not need our help. He's done perfectly well running everything without us. The world didn't need us to get here. Sorry to say it. The world's not going to need us when we're out of here. And God is faithful and we are to be faithful too. And we are to remember in our faithfulness that God is with us and that God helps us and that God loves us. Well, number two, God's promises require God's providence. God's promises require God's providence. A lot of different things have to come together. Verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels. Now keep that number 10 in the back of your mind. And also remember that only rich people owned camels. And he's willing to say, here, take 10 of them. And departed for all his, ma- with all, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So that's about a 400 mile, one month trip. And it gets half a verse, a half a verse. That's it. And he went there. Why? Because the word of God focuses on the God of the word and the work of God. That's why you see in the, in the crucifixion accounts and they crucified him. You're like, that's it. You know, you know, my pastor did a 19-part series on the horrors of crucifixion. You don't, you don't really get that in the Bible because that's not really the important part. What was accomplished in the crucifixion, that's what is, in the, that's what is so important. And if you don't believe me, that half verse is the trip and the next 51 verses, 51 
apply to one evening and one morning <laughs> because it's what God is doing, God's work. And so verse 11, he arrives and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, and he, and he, and he prays, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please give me success this day and show kindness. That's that Jewish word hesed or hesed. Uh, that's usually trans, uh, translated kindness, loving kindness, a variety of different ways. Show kindness to my master Abraham. Not to me, to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be. And, he, and basically he's saying, Lord, this is how I'm gonna know Sometimes we call it throwing out a fleece. Lord, this is how I know I have met the right girl. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you, he says, by this, I'm going to know it's your divine providence. This, I will know that you have shown kindness has said to my master. So the servant is a man of prayer and he prays for a sign. But notice the sign is not to strengthen his faith, although it will. He prays for a sign that it's God's will. There's something here that's so obvious in the Bible. It's absolutely so easy to overlook is that in the Bible, and this is, should be a great encouragement to every single one of us, it is to me for sure, that, that minor characters often play major roles in redemptive history. I mean, this guy, we don't even get his name. We don't even get his name. And he is playing such a major role in God's plan. Do you see that, friend? Do you see the possibilities of God using your life as insignificant as you might feel in his great plans? You know, this past week or the week before, a protege of Billy Graham, often called the Spanish Billy Graham, Luis Palau, went home to be with the Lord. You know, I, I often say regarding our children's ministry that the next Billy Graham, the next Luis Palau might be in our children's ministry. And you might be his teacher. And you might be able to say, oh, I, I remember when. You, you thought you meant no difference in that kid's life. In fact, you couldn't stand the kid. He was always running around full of energy, talking, talking, talking. You're like, uh, I don't know, there's something about that kid. I don't know whether it's good or it's bad. Sometimes it's a fine line with God's people. <laughs> So God uses minor characters to play major roles. Loved ones, don't forget the Lord delights in using the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. So everybody would look around and go, that has to be the Lord. That has to be. It couldn't be anything else. God does not need the best and the brightest. He's looking for the available who are willing to let God use their life in whatever capacity he puts them in. We can gloss over this, but what is the servant looking for? 
the man who is this incredible servant is looking for a woman who is a servant. He said, Lord, this is how I know that it's the right girl because I'm going to ask her for a drink. I'm going to ask her just for a drink for me, my guys. And she's going to say, not only will I get you a drink, but I will get drink for all of your camels as well. Now, scholars tell us that camels can drink up to about 25 gallons. And he has 10 camels. That's 250 gallons. Now, those jugs usually held about three gallons. So let's figure about 25 pounds. How how do you know that, Pastor Jim? I spent uh, about 15 years throwing five-gallon cans of oil and automatic transmission fluid in my business. That's why my shoulders are shot. I thought it was from pitching in high school until my uh, left arm went out too, and then I realized that's what it was from. And so that's a lot, okay? So that's over 80 trips. It's over 80 jugs of water, not including what she would get for the other guys. It could be as many as 100. So basically, he's looking for Wonder Woman. But see, God uses people who are generous. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.